Over the years, one thing that has been inspiring to me personally, and I know to many other ministers and members of the church, is visiting elderly widows in the church. I've had the opportunity over the years of visiting quite a number of uh, elderly widows, and they have been an inspiration to me, and I know to others as well. And I think of one particular lady, I believe her name was Mrs. Mershak. She attended the Johannesburg Church. And we were talking, and uh, uh, she was uh, explaining some of her difficulties and problems and, and uh, challenges in life. Then she stopped and said, I want to ask you a question. She says, you know, I do endeavor to pray and ask God for help and guidance on the church and on the ministry. That's one of the greatest assets we have, for, uh, you know, from more elderly and widows unable to work but what they do do, and I've noticed this over the years, they do spend time in prayer, fervent prayer for the church. But she stopped and looked at me and she said, you know, I wonder at times, I just wondered, are my prayers answered? I just wonder if they are. And uh, it, it surprised me in a way, but on the other hand, I could understand where she was coming from. And so I looked at her and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a few examples of what I personally have experienced, what I've heard of from members where God has miraculously answered prayers. I want to share some of those uh, examples with you today. Just a few, but uh, I believe it gave her an answer. God does miraculously answer the prayers of his people. We know from the scriptures, and just briefly, we know from the scriptures, when Abraham prayed, God heard him and miraculously, in his old age, gave him a son. When Moses prayed, an entire nation was saved from destruction. When Joshua prayed, the sun stood still in the heavens. David prayed for intervention in battles in Israel. God heard him. Hezekiah prayed and the army of Sennacherib was destroyed in a single night. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego delivered from the fiery furnace. And so was Daniel from voracious hungry lions. We can talk about Hannah who prayed. God provided a son. We just heard how important that is to, to mothers and, of course, to fathers as well. Ruth and Esther, we can name them all. And we have those examples in the Bible. <clears throat> we are familiar with the scripture in James 5, verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer. You don't have to turn. I think most of you are aware of the scripture. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We believe that. James 5, 16. <clears throat> translates that particular scripture this way. It says, the prayers of the righteous have a powerful effect. There's power involved in the outcome of the prayers of God's people. The Amplified Bible says, <clears throat> the earnest, that's the heartfelt, 
continued. Prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. <clears throat> so we understand, I'm sure, that our prayers, and even this morning I know all of us prayed and asked for God's guidance throughout this, this Sabbath day. I would like to just mention a few examples of the miraculous answer to prayers that I have had the opportunity to witness over the years. One definition of prayer, and this goes way back that I've kept in my files, would you believe from 1970? Prayer, true prayer, is communication with the Almighty God and Jesus Christ at his right hand. Very simple prayer, but communication with God. And it goes on in this definition, Prayer is talking in an attitude of humility, reverence, awe, and respect to God. Let's notice what the Bible says about uh, prayer. Just a few scriptures from the Psalms. Psalm 66. We can turn there to Psalm 66. Yes, prayer has a, a powerful effect. Psalm 66. And we'll read from verses 16 to 20 of Psalm 66. Come, Psalm 66, now verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God. And I will declare what he has done for my soul. And I think the examples I give you will declare some of the answers to the prayers of God's people over the years. They do make a difference, brethren. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled, or as the margin says, praised with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. We understand that. That's not my emphasis today. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. You can put your name in there. God has heard your prayer, your prayers over the years. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. Turn back to Psalm 34. 34. And uh, we'll read a few verses from this particular psalm, Psalm 34. And let's start with verse 7. Verse 7 of Psalm 34. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And he goes on in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Notice verse 17 and 18. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. 
Now, I'm going to use a few examples. I try to the best of my ability not to embellish those examples, but to try and present them as best I remember they happened. But just by way of illustration, that God does hear our prayers. I'd like to go back to the 60s, the beginning of the Church of God in Cape Town, South Africa. Now, a minister from the United States came out to the country early 1960s and he started giving a few public Bible lectures. I'm not sure who he was. This I've heard, obviously, from the members who then formed part of the early church in Cape Town. But he was a dynamic preacher, but he taught some of the basics. Sabbath-keeping, he taught, in, uh, he taught uh, not infant baptism, but adult baptism, and he taught the, some of the basics. I believe he didn't mention the holy days. Now, from that generated a group of individuals who believed what he said. He left, but they stayed behind and they formed a group. They even bought a building in an area in Cape Town called Retreat. Mr. Waterhouse used to have fun with that because he used to go there and said, we will never retreat, you know, when he used to, uh, when he used to go and speak to them. But uh, they were told by this minister from the States. I believe he was an African-American, and he was talking to them and convinced them this is right, and they believed it. But he said, God's church will exist. And he may have gone to the scriptures, who knows, Matthew, you know, where it says, I will build my church, and, and it will always exist. And they believed him. But he left. He's, but he, he convinced them that somewhere... God's church exists. And if you pray hard enough, God will lead you to the church. Now, the leader of the church at that time, of their little group, shall we say, I'll call them a church, was a man by the name of Mr. Norling, Mr. Edward Norling. So he kept telling them, keep praying, brethren. God will show us where his church is. Now, on a particular Sabbath, because they started keeping the Sabbath, he was going to church on a bus. And sitting opposite him was a man reading a magazine. And the bus stopped, and this man was in a hurry, and he left, but he left, he left the bus, left his seat, but he, he put the magazine down, I probably forgot it, on the seat next to him. This individual, Mr. Norling, picked it up. He started reading it, and... The minute he started reading it, he, he, there was an article about the Sabbath and so on. He said, this is it. It was the Plain Truth magazine. And that day, he walked in, like, say, there was the lectern. Incidentally, they had a baptismal font built in the stage at the back, and I we used it quite a number of times over the years when we were serving there. And he, he, he came in waving the Plain Truth and said, I have found the church. I have found the church. And they believed him. He contacted head of, uh, the office in Johannesburg, that time the regional director, I believe it was Ernie uh, Williams. He came down and this individual said, you can have the church. I don't need a position. Please. I want you ministers to con totally control this church. 
I'm handing everything over to you. That was the start of the church in Cape Town, South Africa. It was started by somebody coming down there, but it was through the prayers of the brethren there at that time who formed the church. Now, a number of uh, other incidents. That was just one. I have quite a, a number. Now, in Zimbabwe, we have members who are uh, farmers, and they rely heavily on their crop each year to be able to feed the families, their own families, and sometimes others as well. Now, this particular year, there was a drought, <coughs> and the baboons, I think you know what a baboon is, this little furry animal, <laughs> and they were coming down from the mountains and at coming into their maize, or I think you call it, yeah, corn crops, they relied on, on that for food, and they were devastating the local farmers, their, their crops as such. Do you know, when I arrived there at one time on a visit, <clears throat> these people came running up to me, and they said, you know what's happened? The baboons, we saw them running through our land, through them, through the cornfields. They never touched a single cob of corn from our fields. But they went next door to our neighbors, and they devastated their crop. The man looked at me, and he said, they seemed as if they were blind. They could not see the crop they were running through. And the same happened with the leopards. The leopards, you know, they have these uh, rock enclosures where they keep their goats mostly and sheep at night. The leopards were jumping over. <coughs> Neighbors, <coughs> excuse me, uh, flocks, and they were devastating them. Now, a leopard, when he gets this bloodlust, he, he'll start grabbing and biting, you know, whatever he can within this enclosure. And, of course, the destruction is not only what he causes, but afterwards you have to obviously put down some of the animals because of their... Uh, <coughs> uh, damage caused by uh, this wild animal. But not a single one of our members' animals were injured or taken. Not one. They ran through the crops. And they had actually, on a Sabbath day, got together as a group and prayed and said, please protect our crop. And God answered that prayer miraculously. Now, <clears throat> visiting Zimbabwe, just some of the personal experiences we had. And I've got some. I, I see is Mr. Bunda here. I think uh, it's, his, it's his fault if I go overtime because yesterday <laughs> I was talking to him and he mentioned a few of the experiences that we had. So I'm going to mention some of those just a bit later. I see there he sits over there. So uh, we're driving now. I, I wasn't with Mr. Bond. I was in Zimbabwe then with a person by the name of Bill Whitaker. Now we're driving through this uh, area where there's a lot of bush on either side of the road, and we're heading for White Bridge, which is the, the 
entrance from South Africa into Zimbabwe or out of Zimbabwe. And in, it was at night and we were rushing. And coming around a bend in front of us were a whole herd of antelope called a kudu. Now, I'm not sure if, uh, if our, I did send just one photo. Uh, if, if there, is, there, there we go. <laughs> well done. <laughs> that was quick. Uh, that, uh, that is a kudu, and there were probably 20, 30 of them in the road. That size. They have caused the death of quite a few people over the years. You hit one of those at speed, you're in trouble, as you can imagine. Now, thank you so much for that. So these are in the road, and you're waiting for the impact, because you're driving at speed. I wasn't driving, I was sitting, and you know you're waiting for it. Next minute, we right through. We went through the middle of them. Not, not a scratch to the car, not even the mirror, you know, was hit or anything like that. We went clean through the lot of them. You know, when that type of thing happens, now I've had a few inst instances like that, but at the time I can't explain or give you more examples. But there is that feeling of it's happened and there's quiet. The driver and me, we're just sitting there, we're just shaking our heads. Have you ever had an experience like that where something dramatic has happened and you're just contemplating how did this happen? And you know uh, a, a miracle happened. We went right through the middle of a whole pack of those antelope. So afterwards you start talking, you say, wasn't that a miracle? Seems like a miracle. Now, I say yesterday I was talking to Mr. Bondas. I'm going to give you a few more examples because that's the best thing sometimes, you know, when we say, okay, were prayers answered? To say, yes, I told this Mrs. Mershak. Mrs. Mershak, your prayers are answered. Let me tell you why. I mean, I gave her a few examples. She says, oh, yes. I said, were you praying that morning when, you know, this and this happened? She said, yeah, I think I was. I said, you see, your prayers are answered. Now, we, uh, I spent quite a lot of time, of course, in Zambia as well with Mr. Bando, who's here. I didn't realize he was here, but, uh, and we had some, uh, some incredible experiences, the, the, the two of us. And just yesterday, we were sitting and just reminiscing about some of them. And I thought, let me include some of these as well. We had an, he had an old Peugeot 404. I dubbed it later a Peugeot 5x4, a 4x4, you know, because what that, that motor car was able to do. Now, we went to one of the outlying regions called Nalubanda, and I was leaving the next day back to South Africa, and we had to leave, and it was late, quite late at night, and it started raining heavily. Now, this 4x4, I'm sorry, Peugeot 404, it, it, we always had to push it to start it. It's just a fact. We pushed it. We always had to push it. We always, we always parked it where we could push it, you know. So that's how we started it. One pushed and, oh, you know, it's like, I think you, were, you know what I mean. Uh, not some of the younger men, but the older, <laughs> I think, know and understand. And so we're going along, and suddenly we get to a very muddy patch. And uh, I wasn't driving. I just wanted you to know that. But uh, the... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, the, the motor car stalls and it cuts out. Now, I, I look at him, he looks at me, he said, I, I'll tell you what, sir, he said, you, you, uh, you get into the seat, drive, and then I'll push. I said, no, 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 you drive, I'll push. And he said, no, sir. I said, I'll push. So I'm busy taking off my socks and shoes and I'm rolling up my trousers to get into the mud to push this vehicle. When I turned to him and I, I said to him, Kambani, why don't you try and start the car? And he said, oh, this car hasn't started in ages. I said, well, just try it. <laughs> and, so, and so he looks at me sort of dubiously, and then the car starts. And he looks at me. I said, it started, Kamani. He says, so I hear. <laughs> and, so, and so we were able to get out there. And it's interesting because, as he said to me yesterday, that was the last time it ever started. You know? <laughs> Now, another time, we're, I'm telling you all these stories, but it's, it's, it's an answer to prayer, brethren, you know? Now, another time, he, finally we got him a new Ford Ranger. And now this car is quite new, and so we're driving again, this is on a different occasion. <clears throat> and we drive, and suddenly the car stops. And we don't know why. Why is this car stopped? It's, it's quite new. So it's like, an, I remember, still up top of a rise and stop. So there's nobody around. <clears throat> Next we, we open, both of us look inside. It's an engine. That's all we know. It's an engine. I think he probably knows more about it than I do. I'm looking at this. Suddenly a man comes out of the bush. He comes just walking out of the bush. And he walks over and he looks into the car and he, just, and he says, why don't you start the car now? So come on, he looks at him. He gets in the car and it starts. Look, and, and the man says bye, and he gets off. He goes and walks back into the bush. So I turned to him. And I, I said, "Who is that?" He said, "I don't know." I said, "It's an angel." <laughs> so, uh, I, said, I just couldn't help it. I didn't know if it was or not, but you know, we don't know. But uh, that happened. Now, one last story. I'm <clears throat> visiting again in Zimbabwe. And uh, this time I was with Bill Whitaker, and we, we were supposed to meet someone in an outlying region of, it's, it's vast, and we lost. We've got the address. Those days, no GPS, okay, no, no mobiles. You're on your own. You've got a, a map that's been sent to you, and it's not working. You know the map, it does something to make sense. We hear, we hear, uh, suddenly in the, in the, in the glare of the lights of the motor car, a man steps out and he puts his hand up like this. Now he's quite nicely dressed. And he comes over to my side, I was driving, and he says, uh, are you lost? I said, yes sir, we lost. He says, who are you looking for? We gave him the name, he says, I'll show you where, and he just gets in the back. Or it's about, I turned to Bill Whitting, I said, watch his hands, watch his hands. <laughs> Because both of us had been in the military and we knew, watch their hands, you know. So he's watching his hands. But here's this man, he says, okay, go on, turn left here, go right here. Be, be careful here, the road isn't very good right here. Now be careful. So go slowly, go slowly, yes, okay. Now go up this rise. Now when you go up opposite the rise, you go left there and then you go right here. So finally we're on, on a straight road and he says, now go slowly, stop. So we stop and 
He says, do you see that light up there? And now from this road, there's a road leading up, and there's a light there. And he says, that's the place you're looking for. And we're looking up, next minute I hear the car doors close at the back, and he's gone. He's just gone. Now I turned to, what would you think? I turned to Bill Whitting and I said, the so-and-so, he's brought us here to where he's staying. And now he's left us in the lurch. We couldn't even say thank you to him. And he didn't say goodbye. You can be sure. And I can still see him doing this to us. Stop. So we thought, well, let's go up there. We go up there, sure enough, these are the people we're looking for, you know? And to make it more dramatic, we, we tell them, look, this is what happened for us to get here. And the people there say, there's nobody who lives near here. It turns the husband and says, I wonder what he's been up to. Is he up here on our farm? What's he doing? Laying snares for, the, for the, our animals or what? But there's nobody who lives near here. So we say, well, he is. He just brought us here. You know, so, so we, we look at some of these examples, and these are just a few. Now, I'm up here, and I have this opportunity. I, I know, I think there's Mr. Mr. Meek. I was thinking of him. He could get up here and tell you similar events. Kambani could. Tim Waddle, who goes to East Africa. Mr. Um, who goes, Mr. Tom Clark, who goes to West Africa. And I, mean, I had all the other ministers and members. You could come up here and relate similar experiences. I'm just relating some that I've experienced. But I, Mr. Mika could get up here, and I'm sure going into Africa, French-speaking Africa, he could mention many examples like this. And probably has already. But uh, uh, So we, we're not the, the, the only ones who have experienced this. Now, I'd like to read something, to go on from that. I want to read something to you. <clears throat> I want you to guess where this is from. Okay? I want you to guess where it is from. Excuse me. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, <clears throat> uh, the last two years have been extremely challenging. But in spite of these challenges, the two words that I would use to describe the church at this point in our history are, quote, extremely blessed. <clears throat> our financial position is not just good, it's very good. And beyond our expectations, we have no debt and we own outright the new church office. <clears throat> there are obvious reasons for our strong financial position. Increased income, rec record holy day offerings, and diminished expenses. But even adding these together, it does not fully explain our current position. God's blessings have been obvious and consistent. Now notice this. It is impossible to explain how we arrived where we are without God's intervention. It's impossible. God deals, you see, in the impossible. It's, he says it's impossible without God's intervention. I've never thought it because we are so smart and so gifted in management, always, but, but 
because God has taken care of us and blessed us in fulfilling our mission of preaching the gospel of the world and caring for the brethren. And then from another report, this is said, just uh, but uh, it's talking about the finances. And I don't want to read the whole thing here, but by the, the blessings, his church, he has blessed the church with a good and steady income. We are deeply thankful. God has indeed blessed us. <clears throat> Can you guess where that's from? Well, it's from our 2022 strategic plan and operations plan. <clears throat> God blessed us during a most difficult time. This is our strategic plan and operation plans. I believe one probably written by uh, Mr. Uh, Franks, our president, and by our treasurer, Mr. Britton uh, Taylor. God has indeed blessed us. Now, <clears throat> let's turn to Ephesians chapter th 3. Ephesians chapter 3. So I was able to explain a little bit to Mrs. Mershak, the widow, by using examples. And that made her convinced. Yes, God does answer our prayers. Ephesians 3, <coughs> excuse me, verses 14 to 21. Ephesians 3. Here we go. Ephesians 3, verses 14. For this reason I bow my knees to, or in the presence of, the Father, <coughs> our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christ said, you pray to the Father. From whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. God's character is placed on that family. <clears throat> that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. God doesn't hide the truth from his people. With all the saints, which is the width, the length, and depth, and height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That which is filled. Now notice. <clears throat> now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Not just abundantly, but exceedingly abundantly. All that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. And then he says, to him be glory in the church of, uh, by Christ. To all generations forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> now, exceedingly abundantly. Did God bless the church exceedingly abundantly? Well, the word was used here, it's impossible to have reached this position without God's intervention. Did we think that? Maybe not. I don't think I did. I thought, uh-oh, oh. difficult times coming. Financial difficulties for the church. COVID and what it, the uncertainties that surrounded that particular pandemic. But it's, a, it's an incredible lesson for us. Notice as well in Psalm 78. Psalm 78. 
Psalm 78. And just to keep this particular aspect in mind, Psalm 78, we'll read from verse 40 to 41 of Psalm 78. How often, Psalm 78, verse 40, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God, Notice, and limited the Holy One of Israel. One of the indictments God had against Israel, ancient Israel, they limited him. Uh, I, I think it's a lesson for us. Can we limit God? What can he yet do for us? Uh, what is there yet in the future for us? He says, please don't limit me. You know, I, I have all power. Don't limit me what I can do and accomplish through the church. Let's notice Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we'll read verse, well, 23, I think. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in the synagogue, gogs, sorry, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Notice, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. Great multitudes followed him. Very largely because of the miracles he performed. That's something that's very attractive. So notice what happens next in chapter 5. And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when, he's dis- when he was seated, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So we see here an example of Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the first commission in preaching the gospel, and also, immediately afterwards, he then fulfills the second part of the gospel. Well, of course, there's, there's one commission, but it has two parts. The first part, he preaches the gospel, then he sits down with those he has called and begins to teach them. And he's fulfilling that particular aspect of the gospel. And even if we turn to John chapter 6, John 6 and verse 2, John 6 and verse 2, That's our commission, brethren. We have to preach the gospel. And as we have coming up now the the conference, we will be also instructing, you know, and teaching again uh, the basics of the ministry that we can share with the brethren. But uh, in John chapter 6 and verse 2, then a great multitude 
followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Now let's just go on to Acts. Now we understand what happened in the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost. So <clears throat> if we turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. This is the incident where Peter and John went up to the temple and there was a lame man, it says, from birth. And they healed this man. And then what happened, would you expect? Well, the people came to them. Now, you can't read the entire section. But if we just read just a small portion, what happened at that particular time? Verse 8, verse 8. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, Peter and John, walking, leaping, and praising God. Babies have to learn that skill, standing and crawling, standing and walking. God gave it to him instantaneously. He didn't have to crawl and walk first or learn how to do it. God gave it to him instantaneously. And so... Uh, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was, he was sat begging at the uh, temple, at the gate, beautiful. And the lame man, verse 11, was healed, held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon. And then, of course, we find that when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. This was an, a wonderful opportunity for him to preach the gospel. And then if you had to read the rest, especially verses uh, 19 to 21, you have the three verses captures the essence of the gospel. Peter covers repentance, conversion, forgiveness, Christ's return. In those chapters there. Now, I've thought about this over the years. And I, I just want to picture a scenario. And it's just a scenario, okay? I'm not trying to set anything in concrete or stone or anything like that. But uh, imagine if you had to take that particular scenario and you had to bring it forward to our present day. What was happening there? Now, it's just a scenario, and I, you, you can't help think about it. Okay, what would happen? Well, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, okay? But what if it did happen in the future? Well, I think you would find that there would be a lot of attention placed on the church. You would have a lot of interest in the media. And I'm pretty sure if these type of things would occur within the, the church, you would find CNN... You know, BBC, that's what I've thought of, just personally. Uh, it's, it's a scenario, please don't misunderstand. And they would want to interview, you know, people. They'd come to Mr. Franks, maybe. And they'd say, Mr. Franks, how, how are you doing this, you know? And what do you think he's going to do? He's going to tell them. So, you can imagine if that scenario did happen. 
Now, if they had to ask, of course, where does he live? Because the, the harassment will follow. You ask, where does he live? I would say, don't worry, he lives in the office. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's where he lives. So that, that, that would be a good answer. So that's merely a scenario. Uh, let's just turn, get to the end, let's just turn to uh, uh, Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. So we, we as a church are praying and when we pray, we cannot limit the great God who has all power. We've seen it in our lives. We've seen the dramatic change in our lives because we have committed them to God. And he is involved in the lives of each and every one of us, but also the church in general and our administration. I do believe that firmly our administration is being led by God. Uh, where am I? Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. Just two verses. Verse 17 of Jeremiah 32. Verse 17. Jeremiah prays. And he says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Is there nothing too hard for you? It's a good question. What is too hard for God? What he wants to do, he'll do for the church. Notice verse 26 and 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? <laughs> That's a good question. Is there anything too hard for me? Well, I do believe as we continue to fervently pray to the great God of heaven, that there is nothing too hard for him, for the church. Now, I'm not even going to turn there because I think you are aware of, just as a final reference to a scripture, in the book of John, where God is talking about the church, the Philadelphian era of the church, and he says, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet. And then he adds something which over the years has been an incredible encouragement to us. Because it says, uh, to show them that I have loved you. You know, it's to show them that I have loved you. The church. Now, Mr. Armstrong realized years ago, that that word love has been extremely distorted in the so-called Christian community. So he defined it as an outgoing concern for the one loved. Now think of the great God of this universe with all his power, and he says, I have loved you. And in order for that to be true, he had to demonstrate that love. We know there's a scripture where it says, and he demonstrated his love to us and that he allowed Jesus Christ to be our savior. He will demonstrate it. How can he say, I have loved you, and then there's no evidence of that love? We look over the years and we know he has loved us. And again, that's a, 
It could be a vague term, but I'm sure it's not for us. It's an outgoing concern for us, brethren. And our desire to get the gospel out. And again, I understand fully that our administration is fully bent on doing that. That's, they, they, that's their driving zeal and amba- uh, ambition is to get the gospel out and to fulfill the second part, teaching the brethren. So to know that God has loved us is and is loving us, has, is, and will in the future. Love us is just a most encouraging aspect of the scriptures that we do understand. So, brethren, like I told Mrs. Mershak, we can be assured that our prayers make a huge difference. The prayers have a miraculous effect. And we know and believe that will continue on into the future. 